0: Yeah, okay. Good to see you all here for worship. Um, We're kind of heading into the fall just about. So school starts up soon for those of you who have kids in school or if you're a college student and you're heading back into school, it's a coming. So church life, we kind of slow down intentionally just to kind of catch our breath and gear up for the fall. And so um, there's not a whole lot on our calendar, but I would encourage you to, to take part in this event coming up this weekend. Last week in service, we got to hear from a few, um, missionaries, some different, two different families. And so, if you were here or weren't here, let me just tell you briefly, just to summarize, there was two families. One is going to Northern Italy to work with an unreached, uh, people group of North African Middle Easterns that live in this main city up in Northern Italy. And so they're, um, but it's, it's, it's um, this family is going to be, you know, learning new, uh, language, uh, just new culture, new places, all this stuff. And, you know, they've got this family going to northern Italy. They have three uh, young kids. And so this is the second place that God has sent them to serve um, overseas long term. And so um, and another family, it's uh, my sister and brother-in-law are going to be are, are are in the middle of serving in Caracas, Venezuela. And so I shared this last week with you uh Just kind of all of what, you know, some of what they do, and then they shared about that. And, you know, this is a difficult thing when you see these families, and it's difficult for us to react in in different ways. A lot of normal reactions, I think, came out of that. I had a a number of conversations, you know, with people from last week, just of responses to hearing their stories. Um, In the case of my brother and sister-in-law, you know, they're they're leaving behind here in the States... Parents, grandparents, the comfort of home, going to um, a very dangerous city, Caracas, Venezuela, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. A lot of murders there, a lot of unaccounted murders, but, you know, really high crime rate. And probably the most dangerous part of, uh, in, in my brother-in-law's mind, is from the airport to their neighborhood. Just getting from, you know, when they come back into the country, getting from the airport to their neighborhood is pretty uh it's the most risky part he feels like once he's in his neighborhood he lives in a pretty secure safe neighborhood but just that journey they don't like to do it at dark a lot of drivers don't want to drive so it's hard to find someone to actually get them from the airport to the to where they live and drivers don't like that the former director um a few years before the former director of the school that my brother-in-law leads was tr- these guys came tried to run him off the road and you know usually it's just you know, mugging or kidnapping, if it's an American, you know, it's kidnapping for ransom type of issues, and um, this former director, he was in this, like, high-speed, pers- you know, chase, these guys are chasing him, trying to run him off the road, crashing into his car, straight out of the movie stuff, and he's like, I'm going to make it to this tunnel, and he gets to the tunnel, last minute he cuts in, gets in the tunnel, and the guys don't get in the tunnel, they hit the walls or whatever, and so he gets away safely, So my brother-in-law is like, you know, there's this concern in his mind about safety, and rightfully so. And the reaction to that, when we hear those stories, and we hear the stories of the, you know, whatever you want to call that, radical faith, you know, sometimes we think, wow, I could never do that. I would never do that. Or why would they do that? And I know naturally, in my mind, I think that same thing. Why would they do that? Why would anyone do that? Why would you put your family in harm's way? Why would you take your kids across the world? We respond to that. Um, it almost, in some ways, I think, sounds a little bit, and it feels a little bit irresponsible. And that was a that was a common reaction. I think, in my mind, that's that's why not just wait till their kids are older? Why not just wait till it's just he and his wife, and kids are older, and it's not? Why would they do this? Well, last week, my sister in law, she made this comment. It's at the top of your listening guide. She said, "We tend to put." a limit on how far we will go with our faith. If you'd like you can follow along. But this is a reality of faith is we tend to put a limit on our lives on how far we will go with our faith. We say to God, "Hey God, I'll do this, I'll do that up to this certain point, but beyond that, you know, here's my limit. This is how far I'm willing to go in trusting God." We say and we think, "God, you know, don't mess with certain parts of my life. And I know we all do this. We all have these limits. And so my big question is, what, what is it for you? What is that limit that you say, you know, this is where I personally draw the line? For you, maybe the missionary thing sounds really appealing. Maybe it's part of your plans. You feel like God wants you to be a part of something like that. Maybe you're training and preparing for that. Uh, for others of you, you might think that, that's a limit. I, I would never do that. But what is it for you? Maybe it's God don't mess with my schedule. Maybe your schedule and controlling your schedule is the limit that you say is set and that God you can't that's off limits. That's untouchable. Think about it. If you're a person who's really likes to be in control, you finally get things under control, you've got your routine down and then someone messes with it or you hear about a need that's come up and all of a sudden it means you'll have to disrupt your schedule for it, now that's a limit. Sorry. It's not something I'm, I'm willing to do. Maybe that's the limit you've set. It could be something else. Like, God, don't mess with my freedoms. You know, I'm an American. And I'm entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so that's my limit. God, you can have all of me except for anything that infringes upon my life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So as long as I can have all those things, then God, I'll trust you with the rest. You know, you can lead me. or Or maybe... And if if, this might be you, God, don't mess with my money. Don't mess with my money, God. I worked hard for this. Don't don't ask me to return any of it to you. Don't. You didn't earn it, God. You didn't go to work. I worked hard for this. The church didn't earn it. They didn't go to. Why should we? You know, don't mess with my money. That might be a limit that you've set on God. It's interesting the story of the Christian Crusaders. You familiar with this dark part of Christian history? There was the Crusades, and you know we kind of want to turn our eyes on what happened with the Crusades, of just some of the horrible things done in the name of advancing the cause of Christ. Um, it's, a, it's a dark part of Christian history. Well, the Crusaders, some of these, you know, these warriors that were going to battle to advance the cause of Christ, you know, they were baptizing them, large numbers of them, and it said of the Crusaders that. The crusaders would hold their swords up out of the water when they were being baptized, kind of as a symbol of saying, you can have all of me except for this sword. I can do what I want with this sword. In a sense, and a lot of people, there's a lot of things, a lot of violations. A lot of what was done in the name of Christ was not Christ-like. In some ways, when it comes to our money or these other areas, we hold something up out of the water. God, you can have all of me. It might be our wallet. You can have all of me except for this. This is mine. You can have everything. I give you it all but this. And I don't know what that is. It might be your your watch, you know, representing your time, your energy. Maybe your safety. God, don't mess with the security of where I live. God, I'll serve you in this country, America, it's safe, there's order. And I'll serve you in my approved list of countries. Here you go. <laughs> but beyond this, it's a little too risky. So again, where is that limit for you? What is it that you feel like is off limits for God? I think for some, it's great ideas. I have a lot of good ideas. You do too. Some of your ideas, you know, you know they're just amazing. If the world would just buy them, it would change to revolutionize things, wouldn't it? And so we encounter the scripture and we we say, yeah, God, I know that you say that it's supposed to work this way, but in my mind, it really works this way. And that might be the limitation. I'll follow you as long as I still get to live out my great ideas. God, I know what you say about the roles in marriage and that I'm supposed to submit to my husband or to my boss or to my, the government. But in my special situation, I've got a great idea. This works better if we'll... And so, again, we hold our great ideas back. But faith, you may not know this, but faith is actually spelled... R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled risk. In Scripture, you see this over and over. One of my mentors recently said this. It's in the middle of your listening guide. We live by faith whenever we take what we have and we risk it. When we say, God, here's what I have. I'm willing to risk it for you. This is all I have. This is my time, my resources. This is, this is me, all of me. We take who we are and put it on the table and we risk it for him. If you and I intend to live lives that are marked by faith, then over and over we're going to have to take major risks, bold steps forward in two main areas. The first one is our sight with what we see, and second, with what we have. The faith life requires taking risks with our sight, with being able to see everything clearly, having control Maybe God's working in your life and you just you're frustrated because you can't control how it's working, how he's trying to work, how he's trying to stretch you and grow you, and you're not in control of the process. And you feel like this is frustrating because I can't see what you're trying to do with my life. And so to move forward would require to take a risk in the area of sight. The writer of Hebrews, he takes a chapter in the Bible, chapter eleven of Hebrews, to define what is faith in its widest sense. And then, not, and then how do you live that out? And he, gives, he illustrates what faith looks like in the lives of people. So he's going to define in Hebrews 11, the entire chapter, faith, and he's going to illustrate it. He's not necessarily just talking about becoming a Christian, but he's talking about how do I live by faith. So it's not just establishing faith in Christ, but it's establishing and then living in a way that really pleases God over the course of life. So let's take a look at this together. But two areas really that involve risk with our faith is sight and what we have. So, first begins with this verse 1, Hebrews 11 says, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's these words, sure and certain. This idea of faith involves confidence towards the unseen or the unknown. We're confidently, faith pushes us or moves us confidently towards things. We can't see. Verse 2 says this. This is what the ancients were commended for. You know, this is what people, were; their lives were marked by, this type of faith. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe, all that we see, was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All that we see with our eyes, all that we experience, everything we know, everything we see was created by one that we don't see. In a way that we don't know, we're told that he spoke things into existence. All the elements we see, the universe he formed, all of mankind he spoke into existence requires faith. For many of us, not being able to see God is reason enough for us not to give our lives to Him because we can't see Him. Again, that requires faith to see Him or to to believe that He's there because we can't see Him. And so this this is a faith journey. I can see money. You can see money. I can roll money out of my pocket and say, here's money. I can I can actually put my hope in something like that because I can see it. But with God, it's very, very different. He leads us confidently towards the unseen, oftentimes the unknown, the uncertain circumstances. It's it's not very American. And sometimes we, we talk about faith and it's a very exciting part of life and, oh, I'm risking it all for Him. But we sing about it. We, we don't always recognize that faith often is very, very dangerous. It's very risky. And for many people, this area of sight is the main barrier that they never really come to faith. But by definition, that's faith, not sight. It's it's Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we don't see. If we head back to Genesis chapter 22, we find... We're introduced to a man named Abraham. Shared with you a little bit about his story last week. Abraham is told that he's going to be the father of nations. That all people on earth would be blessed by his life if he would leave his country, leave his people, even leave, you know, leave a lot of relationships behind, the comforts, all that. Go to a land that I'll show you, God says. He doesn't even you know, he doesn't give him sight of where he's going. doesn't give him a map. Just, just start going. Step out. And he says, I'm going to turn you, I'm going to make you, you're going to be a blessing to all people on earth. Make you into a great nation, which requires that he has a son. If Abraham is going to be the father of a nation, then he has to have kids. 75 years old, no kids, his wife is aging, she's barren. They're trying to have kids, they have no kids. God says, I'll make you into a great nation. He steps out in faith and actually trusts God, leaving behind the comfort of home. And twenty five years later, as he's trusting God, actually when he's ninety nine years old, he finds out his wife is pregnant. Twenty five years. Honest you know, when he's hundred, Isaac is born, this child of promise. I anticipated the birth of my kids for eight, nine months, you know. Once I found out we were pregnant, it's like they're coming, you know, this is exciting, whether I'm ready or not, here they come, you know. It's there's this anticipation for Abraham, he had twenty five years of God gave me this promise. That means He's going to give me a son, and I don't know how. But... And so the son finally arrives. Then God says, here's what I want you to do. The son is a young child. doesn't say exactly how long, but this passage is going to tell you about a point where God asks him to risk, sacrifice this only son. Take him up to a mountain. Offer your son, God says, as a sacrifice, human sacrifice to me. Now the boy was never going to die. This was a huge test for Abraham. So look at how it goes down. Abraham, he took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, meaning Isaac's carrying this wood up this hill. We're not sure how old he is, but Isaac is old enough to carry wood. Okay, so he's not like a, he's not an infant necessarily. He's probably the Hebrew, the original language indicates, it uses a word, a noun that describes anywhere from young child to young adult. So it's just this span of ages so let's say maybe he's a teenager okay he's going up this hill isaac's carrying the fire and the knife says as the two of them went on together isaac spoke up and said to his father abraham father yes my son abraham replied the fire and the wood are here he's carrying them. but where's the lamb for the burnt offering i don't see the lamb see this is the question of sight where's the lamb i don't see the lamb then God, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Though they couldn't see how God was going to provide it, they journeyed up that hill. God, Abraham put his hope in the God who would provide. He says, Jehovah Jireh is the original. It's, but it means the Lord will provide it. It actually comes from a root word that means to see. The word provide if we get the word provide, actually the root is to see. He's talking about the fact that I can't see it, but God can see it. He can provide it. He's speaking confidently about moving towards the unseen and the unknown. It says the two of them went on together. In the New Testament, and just in case you're wondering, what happens to the boy? You can't just change gears. Does he die? Wait for it. Wait for it. God provides a, 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 a ram caught in a thicket, provides... To sacrifice in place of his son. Abraham is about to draw, you know, he's drawing the knife, he's about to slay his son in obedience. And an angel of the Lord appears and says, Wait, Abraham. And he provides something else. It was a test. He was testing his faith, testing his obedience. So they journey up the hill together. They go through this whole thing. Abraham, he learns this lesson. But God doesn't test his faith just one time. He tested his faith over and over and over through the course of his life. In the New Testament, Paul first century church leader he says this he says we live by faith not by sight paul was a man who saw an awful lot of trouble and difficulty and what sustained paul was the realization that this world was temporary and transitory he focused not on just the present but he focused on things that were unseen he placed his eyes on unseen things not just what with what he could see with his eyes so that's one risk we take. Another risk we take in relation to our faith is related to what we have or what we don't have, what we think we possess, what we're entitled to. So we'll call this, in other words, our first and our best. This idea comes up in Scripture very early on. The first, the best. Faith means we take those things, our first, our best, and we, and we risk it for God. Our best years. Our best energy. Even our first energy. You know, when we wake up, just our perspective in the day. Just our best, you know, the very best. It takes faith to really commit those things to God. Our first resources. The best part of our day. When we're at our best. Our kids. Our marriage. You know, many would say that children and marriage, maybe that's, you know, for some people that might be the best that life has ever offered you. So faith. Maybe taking that and saying, God, I give you these. I trust you with these. This is my act of faith. Look again at Hebrews 11, verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. So Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews introduces us to Cain and Abel here. These are the first sons, or these are the sons of Adam and Eve. The first sons born. It says, by faith, he, speaking of Abel, was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. Abel's offering was seen acceptable. It was seen as a superior sacrifice, a superior gift to God. And it says, And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. Abel dies. You probably know the story. Cain, his older brother, kills the younger brother Abel. He's murdered. Abel is murdered because of jealousy. We read about the story in Genesis four. Take a look. It says Abraham, or I'm sorry, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. That's how it happens in those days. He's lay down, and then she becomes pregnant. Can you imagine? I, I, first service, I was thinking about this. I didn't say anything, but I want to say something now. Can you imagine how crazy it must have been for Adam and Eve, and just like... All of a sudden, Adam, he goes into deep sleep. God, you know, puts him to sleep, forms Eve out of a rib, and here's this lady. Now, this next thing happens. He just lays down with her. She becomes pregnant. You know, just the, the magic of all those moments. Crazy. And just, you know, like, what's going to happen tomorrow? <laughs> anyway, she became pregnant. Obviously, something happened. And gave birth to Cain. So they have Cain. She said... Eve says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now Abel, the younger, he kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Note, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. It's a picture of giving God some. Here, God, you can have some. This should keep you happy. Here's some of my life. Here's some of my stuff. Here's some of the best of... I wouldn't say the best. Here's here's some. Here's some of my energy. Here's some of my time. Here's some of my resources. It's kind of, in essence, Cain saying, Here, God, let me throw you a bone. Here you go. Depending on our attitude, this could be us. And this attitude is incredibly insulting when we operate from this place of, God, here's some of me. Then look at verse 4. But Abel... The younger brother, he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. He brought the good stuff, the best, from the choice of his flock, the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. See, very early on in Scripture, you see this idea of first and best. This representing what we have, what is, what we believe we possess, what's ours, what we think we're entitled to. He released... That to God and God received it as an acceptable, superior sacrifice than his brothers. There's a distinction made. Look back at Hebrews chapter eleven, chapter eleven, verse five. The next person we introduced is another man named Enoch. It says, By faith, again, going back to faith, by faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. His faith earned him basically, he was able to just pass through death. He basically was taken up out of life. He completely skipped death. It says he couldn't be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So based on reliable testimony, before he went to heaven, he was known as a man who pleased God. You can read the story in Genesis 5. Verse 21 says this of Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. Creative name. Methuselah ends up being like living longer in Scripture than anyone else. The oldest man is his son, Methuselah. I don't remember what the name is, like 969 years old or something like that. But Enoch lives 65. He gives birth to, a, to Methuselah. After he became dad to Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. So this marked his life. He walked with God. In other words, his primary purpose was to walk with his Creator in a way that pleased him. It doesn't mean that God was his walking buddy. What it means is that he did life in a way. The word walk in Scripture has to do with our way of life. His way of life was pleasing to God. For 300 years, this was the, his way of life. It says that he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. And at some point, you know, Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. But in those years, his very best energy was given to God, his best. He was a man who walked with God. And so for us, to trust him today in our lives means that we walk with God in the same ways. Trusting him with what we see, what we don't see, and with what we have or what we don't have. That's the walk of faith. Faith is primarily about trusting God enough to do what he says. Whatever he says, I would actually add. Whatever he says, meaning there's no limit. There's no limit to how far I'll trust you. We want to set limits, but God says the walk of faith, the men of faith that marked our faith lived without limits. What we see, what we don't see is something we're going to constantly have to risk. Verse 7, it brings up the idea of sight again. Look at verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, you know about Noah. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, there's the idea again of sight, he's warned about things not yet seen, what was, what was coming was God's judgment was coming upon people because of man's wickedness. Everything was going bad, and so God decides to preserve a remnant of righteous people who walked with him. So he takes Noah, his family, says, let's start over, fill this ark with animals. We're going to start fresh with you and your family. Everyone else is corrupt and... But it's interesting. He says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, you know what wasn't seen up to this point? Rain. Flood. Like the concept of rain and flood and boat, <laughs> build a boat. Why? For what purpose? What is that object? For what purpose? This had not happened yet. So he, God's saying, this judgment is coming in this form. From the heavens is going to come rain. What's that? A flood? Just try to get that in your mind. Because we think about rain, we know what it is. But for him, it had not happened yet. And I don't want to get into the whole, what do you mean it had not happened yet? So dig into the scriptures, read about it. I could show you some interesting videos to talk about this whole period of time and the heavens and separation between the waters above. But he's talking about something he had not yet seen. He's he's challenging his very understanding of what he could see, what he knew. So what does he do? In holy fear, he took God so seriously, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world, meaning his obedience drew such a sharp, distinctive line between the unbelieving world and, and the walk of faith, people of faith. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. His whole sight was challenged. Verse 8 in Hebrews 11, it brings up again the whole idea of what we have, what we don't have. Verse 8 reads, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. He risked his inheritance, what he had. He walked away from what he had, what he knew, what was established, to go trust God for something he could not, that he didn't have yet, that God had promised to him. And so, again, just all of this All these eight verses, or however many verses we've looked at in Hebrews, it just keeps bringing up the question in my mind that I thought really tied to what my sister-in-law shared. We have limits we set on our faith. And the big question for us is, what limits have we set on God? It's different for all of us. And it comes up at different points in our life in different ways. I'll trust Him in this area, but then over here I'll pull this area back. I'll start obeying in this area, but then I'm tempted to take this and say, I'm going to reserve this for myself. So where are you currently playing it safe? What is that area in your life that you feel like you are not yielding to God and you said that's off limits for you? This area, that one area, if you're able to identify what that one area currently is for you, if you'll obey God fully, that's usually the point where we start making spiritual progress and growth really comes and life begins to open up. As we begin to obey Him, in the areas we hold back from Him. Verse 6 says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without this type of faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, that's the first thing, believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You and I, we cannot please God without the type of faith that's described in Hebrews 11. This is not about just holy people of old, the ancients. This isn't about missionaries it's not about a pastor it's about for those who follow Christ that's the life of faith that God has called us to it's it's a it's a risky life it's a dangerous thing and you know God is good and he and he he has favor on us he's very good to us but it does not mean that you won't walk through difficulty and trouble and that you won't have to take these steps To, to want to just have a safe life and a faith life that's not what you find in the scripture. He leads us towards risky things. Cody's going to come up here with the band. And just, we're going to, I want to encourage you to think very practically, very specifically about how do you respond to what God says about this area of faith. Faithful church attendance, you know, that, that's important. And if that's where you're at, that's great. Honestly, especially if that sounded crazy a year ago. You look at your life and you're like, I never thought I would show up to a church once a month. Or more often than that even. I never thought I could do that. And that's great if that's where you're at. But if that's a limit you've set on God, then He wants you to blow past that limit. So, so understand where you're at. Where you're at may be a point of limitation right now. Maybe you've been serving or you served recently for an event that we had or something went on and you served at it. You felt like, I want to do this. And and it's great that you did. And maybe you thought, I never, if they only knew that, I never do things like that. Man, that's great. But again, if, if that one time thing was a limit you've set, all right, God, I give you one, no more. Then again, he wants to push you far past that. He wants you to take what you have, your best energy, your best years, And risk them for him to advance the cause it's the same for giving it's the same for you know that it is for serving it's the same for just wrestling down our our great ideas if if you are holding on to something that's a barrier that's that you said that's off limits then then that place you're in it's gonna be really hard to make spiritual progress past that and it's Our, our gracious God, he, He's going to keep challenging this. We walk by faith, not by sight. Paul said it very clearly, simply because it's such a challenge. This is a faith walk. And I think if you're 30, you're 13, you're 60s, you know, it's, it's a faith walk. At whatever stage we're in, we have to ask ourselves, what is it I'm playing safe in? Normally we have next steps like multiple next steps but it just seemed like it would be more appropriate to just to just think in terms of what is that one thing that I'm limited that I've said as a limit and just to ask God to show you that to show you what it is you've said is off limits and ask Him for the courage to remove that that you would choose to remove that and obey Him fully Cody's going to play just to ask you to pray silently if you'd bow your heads we're just going to pray together And have a time of silence. And we've highlighted a handful of stories in a variety of different areas. But I'd encourage you to just ask God very specifically to highlight, what is that one specific limit you've said that you've set that that God may want you to move past and that you're you're currently holding back from Him? Cody's going to play and we're just going to pray silently just ask the Lord to speak to you for for a minute then we'll close your eyes, I hope God brought something to mind just a specific thing that he's shown you and that you maybe even came in here with that already in your mind but I encourage you by the end of today just to yield that to God say God I want you to I'm going to remove this limit and I'm going to ask you Need courage to to move forward, and I encourage you to share it with someone. Depending on what it is, maybe share it with someone as a point of accountability. Maybe for you, that that limit you've set is yielding your life to Christ. You've never established faith, possibly. If that's you, and you just you've never yet decided to give Jesus your life, which is the starting point for beginning the life of faith. And on the, I, I would encourage you. That's the step. Be clear on that. On the back of this, you can let us know. How do I do that? Begin a relationship with Christ for the first time. Let us know. We can follow up with you, have a conversation with you about that. But if there's something specific tied to an area, can you imagine what would happen as a church if we just decided, you know what, today I'm going to make some forward progress. I've been held up for quite some time on this issue, and I'm going to trust the Lord completely with it. So. Cody's going to lead us through two final songs. Actually, we're, we're going to receive our offering in just a second. When the offering basket comes around, can you just drop this in the offering basket? And want to thank you for giving. For those of you who are part of our church family, thank you for your faithfulness and giving to OCC.